Well, it's good to be with y'all. As Pastor Frank said, my name is Sam Ivey. So he did get one thing wrong. I'm no longer on staff with Campus Outreach. So it's, it's very sad to say that, uh, but I am a pastoral intern here at the church, and I'm very excited to be bringing you all God's words this evening. And so as you know, we'll be continuing our sermon series through the book of Joshua, where we're looking at how God saves, God gives, how God leads, and how God keeps his promises. And tonight our text will be from Joshua 6, verses 22 through 27. So if you have your Bible, your phone, or if you're like me, you have your tablet, please turn with me or, or touch, however you get to it, to the book of Joshua, chapter 6, and we'll be starting at verse 22. And while you're turning there, I want to give you some context for where we are in the story. You see, earlier on in Joshua, we see that God has told his people that there is a land that they are to conquer that's theirs, the promised land. The only issue is they must go to war with the people who are currently residing there. And so then we see in Joshua 2, Joshua sends out spies to survey the land of Jericho. And in the meantime, they end up residing in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Soon after, the king Jericho hears about this, and he orders the men to come out. So they go to Rahab, and what we learn is that Rahab refuses to turn the men over. In fact, in Hebrews 11.31, we learn that by faith, Rahab hides the spies. And as we continue on in Joshua 2, looking at verses 8 through 11, we see that Rahab herself actually confesses faith in Yahweh himself. But then she goes a little bit further, asking that the spies not only save her, but her household. And so the spies actually agree to an oath with her, and they tell her that if you tie this scarlet cord to the outside of your window, anyone you bring into this home shall be spared, but anyone outside will be destroyed. And last week, DT unpacked for us the beginning of this conquest of Jericho, where he had us look at the promise, plan, and provision of victory. And as he said, we saw that, yes, it was an Israelite victory and Joshua leading it, but really God is the one who demonstrated his power by bringing the walls down and allowing his army to go in and take the city. And now we fast forward to our text today because we see the promise that was given to Rahab fulfilled and we beautifully see God's mercy displayed in her rescue. So please read along with me starting at verse 22. It says this, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young, man who had done, the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Verse 24. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord as the one who undertakes to rebuild this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the, at the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you this evening. I can do nothing apart from you. So 
Holy Spirit, would you rest upon me as I preach your word from uh, Joshua 6. Help our eyes, help our minds, help our ears and our hearts be open to you for what you have to say. And I just pray, Lord, that the gospel be made very clear. Pray this on your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Brian Stevenson is known today as an American lawyer, civil rights activist, and law professor. But he's better known today in his betrayal by actor Michael B. Jordan in the 2019 movie Just Mercy. What most people don't know about him is that he actually grew up in southern Delaware, and he, is his, he and his family attended the African Methodist Episcopal Church. His relationship with his faith is what would later influence his life after graduating from Harvard Law School. You see, after graduating, he moved to Montgomery, Alabama, where he started the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a nonprofit organization that provides legal representation to people who are poor, unfairly accused, or wrongfully convicted. And from his time in proximity with the people he worked with, he was quoted saying, each person in our society is more than the worst thing they've ever done. And when asked throughout the years what motivates his work, his answer was mercy, but listen to how he describes mercy. He says, mercy is most empowering, liberating, and transformative when it is directed at the undeserving. The people who haven't earned it, who haven't even sought it, are the most meaningful recipients of our compassion. I want to read that first part one more time. He says, mercy is most empowering, liberating, and transformative when it is directed at the undeserving, the people who haven't earned it. Brothers and sisters, I think this quote characterizes the way God's mercy can be displayed in our text this evening. And because God is lovingly merciful, we must take refuge in him for salvation. And we'll see that as we look at our first point. Remember, you were undeserving of God's mercy. Look with me back at verses 22 and 23. We see that Joshua tells the spies to go into the prostitute's house. And so right here we see Joshua doesn't even call her by her name, but by what she is associated with it. You see, at this point in the story, everybody's been wondering, what is to be had of Rahab amongst all this destruction in this pagan city? Will she actually be saved? Because in this culture, her being saved would be astonishing. Because during this time, she would be considered the lowest of the low in her culture. Why, you ask? First, it's because she's a woman. Second, it's because she's a Canaanite woman. And lastly, it's because she is a prostitute. Yet here we see God's mercy beautifully displayed to who many might say is the most undeserving of his mercy. But nevertheless, Joshua orders his men to bring her and her family from the house in order to rescue them from the destruction around them. And moving into verse 23, we see that the spies bring Rahab and her family outside of the camp of Israel in order to fulfill the Levitical laws we find of, of, uh, of ritual uncleanness. But regardless, there being outside the camp now, we see that Rahab and her family were now rescued from destruction because of her great faith. But in Rahab's story, church, we see our story. You see, Rahab, just like us, was at one time a part of the covenant. She was outside of it. She was a Canaanite. And if you aren't Jewish here this evening, you are a Gentile. Ephesians 2.12 tells us that, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Rahab was a harlot. And although none of us uh, have that profession, 
we at times always goes af- go after the passions of our flesh. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Well, if there's anything that we relate to Rahab, it's that we're all human. Romans 3.23 very clearly tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, how can we be saved? How is Rahab saved? We see it's God's mercy. By faith, she was saved by putting her faith in Yahweh and being obedient to take refuge under the scarlet cord, she was saved. Well, what about us? Well, we see in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, that it was God's mercy as well. What does it tell us? It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase that Christians were saved from something. And what we mean when we say this is that we're saved from our sin, which ultimately leads to death, which is eternal separation from Christ. But what we also are saved from is our former way of life. Sin we can describe as anything that displeases God or anything that violates his law. Another definition might be, it could be described as a deadly disease that cripples us both morally and spiritually, and it prevents us from living the way that God intended us to. And burdened by this sin, we have no hope of pleasing God apart from putting our faith in Jesus Christ and receiving his mercy. Well, in the same way, Rahab's city, her culture, her people, her religion, everything about her life was causing her to sin. And this sin earned her the same judgment sentence that Jericho faced, death. But through her faith in a merciful God, she and her family were also saved from something. They were saved from their destruction and placed temporarily outside the camp of Israel. Don't we serve a wonderful, merciful God? Well, what can we learn from these few verses that we can apply to our lives? I think firstly, is that if we are God's people, we are to be characterized by keeping our word. When we look at the text, we see that not only the spies, but Joshua kept their word to Rahab in saving her, when in actuality they had no obligation to do so. In fact, any other nation might have agreed to an oath with her, and once they had escaped from danger, they may very well have destroyed her along with the rest of her people. But not so with God's people. We are to imitate him in all ways, and we know that God is both merciful and faithful. Numbers 23:19 tells us that God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? If we're going to do something, we should follow through with it because our Heavenly Father is not a liar, and neither should his children. Matthew 5, 37, Jesus tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Whichever one you agree to, follow through with it. Secondly, I think what we can learn from this text is that God desires mercy and for all to come to repentance. Salvation comes by faith and is available to everyone who is called according to God's will. But this means that not everyone will come to faith. 
However, this does not mean that the gospel is not available to everyone. Rahab in her culture was considered to be the lowest of the low. Therefore, we should not exempt sharing the good news of Christ with someone because we believe them to be too far gone. Tonight, as we take communion, a part of taking it in a worthy manner is remembering that you were unworthy when grace found you. In fact, we are only able to take the elements in a worthy manner because of the invitation that was offered to us in Christ Jesus. So, we should at all times remember that we were undeserving of God's mercy. Looking at verse 24, we see they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. It's as if the author takes a moment to go away from the story of Rahab and to emphasize back on how utter the destruction really was. The fire destroyed everything, it says, but the precious metals and the jewelry, but they were be too reserved for God. But then in verse 25, if you were with Campus Outreach, you know, there's a red flag word that appears, this word but. And you see this word but always adds a contrast to what was previously stated. So we saw in verse 24 how everything was utterly destroyed by fire. But verse 25 says, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. You see this but adds an emphasis that while although the fire was destroying everything and only the jewelry remained, there were still some human survivors that were rescued, Rahab and her family. And this leads us to our second point. Recognize that God's mercy works both in and through you. We talked about in verse 23 that Rahab and her family were saved from something, but in verse 25 we'll see that they're also saved to something. You see, God's intent was not for them to stay out of the camp of Israel forever. In fact, in this text, we learned that as time went on, they were able to join the household of God. You see, they were called to a new identity. Instead of worshiping their previous gods and living according to their old customs and behaviors and actions, they were called to participate in worshiping the one true living God, Yahweh. And they were called to adhere to his laws and to his decrees. In the same way, believer in Christ, when you experience God's mercy and grace, it transforms you. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 says? It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And if you're here listening, if you're here tonight or you're listening online and you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that can change today, here and now. Your identity doesn't have to be wrapped up in what you've done or what you haven't done. Because once you accept Christ, he becomes your identity. And instead of being brought outside the family of God, you are now welcomed in like Rahab. But you know, there's one thing that's remarkable about God's grace. It's once you experience it, you can't help but tell someone else about it. And so when we look back at Joshua 2, I wonder, did you see it in the text? Do you remember? Rahab having experienced the promise of salvation, she rationally contemplated who could join her in being delivered from the judgment coming to Jericho. Well, the question I have for us this evening is have you rationally considered who you're connected to knowing that you've been given the promise of salvation? Who might you be able to share this message with that may change their lives? 
Well, even right now, God may be placing someone on your heart that you could be thinking about. Could it be that this very week, God can use you in their life to bring him to saving faith? My brothers and sisters, it's this very reason why we must recognize that God's mercy not only works in us, but it works through us. And to go even a little bit further, we see this in the New Testament. It's a theme. As Pastor Frank said it earlier, when it comes to communion, this whole thing is a covenantal thing. Peter tells us in his sermon in Acts 2.39, he says, this same promise is for you, but not only for you, but for your children and all who are far off and everyone who the Lord calls to himself. This is the same mercy that was extended to Rahab. This is the same mercy that's extended to you and me. Let's share this mercy with others because God's mercy extends through relationships. It first transforms us, and then it transforms those who are around us. And lastly, we go into our final point, run to God's mercy, because his judgment is final. In verse 26, we see Joshua curse Jericho. Now, many scholars debate, you know, why did Joshua do it? Like, what does this actually mean? Uh, I'm too young to try to debate with them or tell them anything about that, but we, we'll go with what we know for sure. It's that this curse proclaims the final judgment on this city. But it also pronounces a consequence to the man who attempts to oppose the will of God. In 1 Kings 16.34, there was a man who dared to do it. His name was Heel of Bethel. And in him reconstructing the city, he lost both his firstborn and his youngest son as he rebuilt it. And we learn very simply from this story that when God proclaims a judgment, it's final. For Jericho, it was destruction, but for Rahab, it was salvation. For the non-Christian that may be in this room or listening right now, Jesus Christ is offering you deliverance from the judgment that awaits you. John 3.36 tells us that if you haven't experienced Christ, then the wrath of God still remains on you. I urge you, I beg you, run to his mercy. To the Christian who is listening right now, How are you making use of your deliverance? We must remember that God has not only saved us from something, but he saved us to something. I urge you to share the mercy that you've received from God with those that you are connected to. Remember, his mercy works in and through us. And looking at verse 27, this chapter concludes with a statement of victory. To the end of the Jericho saga, we learn that it is the final victory But what does this victory really prove? It proves to the people once and for all that Yahweh truly is with Joshua just as he was with Moses. And so now the people can follow them without any doubts or any concerns. But what even the text tells us is that Joshua's fame grew throughout the land. And with it, the surrounding people began to fear Yahweh because the the conquest was on. Christians, this points us to today. You see, there was a greater Joshua a greater Yeshua. In fact, his name is King Jesus. And not only does he help his people conquer Jericho, but he helps his people conquer every ruler, every authority, every cosmic power, every evil evil force. And in fact, Jesus conquered death itself on the cross. And one day his name will reign across the world and all people will know it. And salvation only comes to those who call on his name. But to those it doesn't, if they don't. 
In this story of Rahab, we see a woman of great faith who was rescued by the great mercy of Yahweh. Theologian John Owen puts it this way. He says, a blessed example both of the sovereignty of God's grace and of its power, of its freedom and sovereignty in calling and conversion of a person giving up their choice of the vilest of sins. Nobody, no sin, should lead to despair when the cure of God's sovereign almighty grace is engaged. Another theologian says it this way about Rahab. He says, this story reminds us that once we come to Christ, our past no longer matters. The slate is wiped clean for all who believe and accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. Rahab was no longer viewed as an unclean prostitute, but as one worthy by grace to be part of the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as she was grafted into the line of Christ, so we become children of God and partakers in his inheritance. We find in the life of Rahab the inspiring story of all sinners who have been saved by grace. In her story, we learn of the amazing grace of God that can save even the worst of sinners and bring them into abundant life with Christ. You know, I've heard it once said that mercy is not getting what we deserve. And while I believe that statement to be true, I believe we can make it a little bit more clear. See, I believe mercy is getting what we didn't deserve, or what we deserved, excuse me, mercy is not getting what we deserved because our penalty was paid for by another. Mercy became personified when Jesus became the propitiation for our sins and taking God's wrath, which we deserved. And if you know this love that Christ has presented, I urge you once again to share it with others. But I also urge you to take this story of Rahab. It should give you encouragement and confidence knowing that as she was saved, we too see our story of salvation and rescue. But if you don't know this loving, merciful Savior, and you haven't made him your Lord and Savior, I urge you, I beg you, to please come and investigate who this Jesus really is. He has opened the way for permanent, permanent, eternal communion and union with God. But as I said, his judgment is final. You can be with Jericho and be destroyed, or you can come to Christ and experience salvation. And just as Rahab was saved from destruction by hiding, by taking refuge under the scarlet cord, we all take refuge and are saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening thankful for your word. And I pray, O Lord, as we look at the story of Rahab, it would give us encouragement, that it would bring us to realize that you truly are a merciful, saving God. And despite whatever the vilest of sins we commit, once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, once we repent of our sins, Lord, you wipe our slate clean because you give us the righteousness that Jesus had because he died the death that we deserve to die, but he was also raised to new life. God, we love you. We need you more than ever. If there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you bring them to saving faith. We pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.